Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Edgy Futurist. Joining us today is Patrick McGrath. Paddy is a great friend of Edgy Futurist Podcast and has now appeared uh, after this episode on more episodes than any other guest. As well as joining us on the show, Paddy also led a workshop at the Edgy Futurist Summit this summer and presented one of our awards on behalf of Text Help, the organisation he works for. Patrick is... Patrick, it must even be Sunday. Paddy is the resident EdTech champion at Textile, a passionate educator. He's an accomplished international speaker focusing on engaging sessions and how technology can make a real and meaningful impact on teaching and learning for all. He's an Apple education mentor, a Google certified educator, and received the UK Digital Leader 100 Award in 2016. He's also an honorary fellow of the University of Ulster. He's worked with thousands of schools on areas such as inclusion, educational vision and planning, leadership and change management. You can follow him on Twitter at TH underscore Patrick M. The podcast by educators for educators, the EduFuturist podcast. Paddy, it's fantastic to have you back on. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, uh, guys. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Even more so now that I heard I'm uh, your most uh, frequently attended guest on the show. I hope there's a prize for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, win, you, win a, you win a new pair of glasses. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Also noticed I'm definitely amongst friends because uh, his friends call me Paddy and the, the industry calls me Patrick. So uh, that's good to hear, guys. Thank you for that. Paddy, um, like we said in the introduction, you worked for Texthelp. Could you just give our listeners a, a 30-second introduction, I guess, into who Texthelp are? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the fortunate role there to be education technology strategist in Texthelp. Uh, and I suppose Texthelp have a, a very sort of straightforward mission in terms of what we want to do as a company, and that's help every student to unlock their full potential. So that's irrespective of their individual needs, uh, their strengths, their challenges. And we do that through some fabulous software, some of which I, I hope you guys and listeners will have heard of. So things like Read and Write, um, our literacy support software, uh, used by over 20 million students worldwide, Equatio uh, for maths, uh, and uh, things like RIQ as well, that uh, provides automated assessment. So we really stretch across literacy, maths, and assessment. We kind of use those tools to sit and layer on top of current tools that students would be using. So things like Microsoft Word and, of course, Google G Suite, Google Docs within there. As so we integrate directly into those environments to sort of put our technology right at the heart of teaching and learning. Fantastic. We love it. We love it. You know that we're massive champions of that. And uh, it's been amazing to come out and see what you're doing over in Belfast, but also uh, around the world um, and been involved with us at the summit. So we we, we want to get into this um, this conversation really tonight around this this idea about preparing students for a future. So uh-huh. at, at, at Edge we've talked about this building a movement and starting a movement around um, teaching educators that are like uh, uh, shaping change and uh, preparing students for a future that we can't we can't really predict. And it's always uh, it's always problematic to try and predict the future, isn't it? But uh, but we want to uh, have, have a discussion around that and and, and pull that into uh, into a, into a thought piece tonight. So um, I don't know what we. How long ago was it when you went to school, Paddy? Oh, a long, long, long time ago. Before you were born, I'm sure, Mr. Whittaker. Um, yeah, very possibly. So, um, so 
I imagine that you've seen a lot of change um, in education, not just in since you were at school, but also since you've been involved uh, working with schools and and, uh, and colleges. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, truth be told, I left school nearly 30 years ago. I left school at 16 and it was uh, the FE movement that, that saved me and <laughs> and got me through to, to through my education journey. Um, and I do remember um, not having uh, any technology in school, even though from a personal perspective, that's a thing that motivated me. Uh, and I remember in the early stages of secondary school, actually um, uh, helping to purchase the first BBC microcomputer that went in the schools. Little did I know 30 years later that that would still be my passion to get education technology uh, to benefit um, students. Um, and I think we, we look at technology in a very different way now than we've ever done in terms of its integration into our everyday life. Um, the expectations of using it in almost every facet of what we do. Uh, and I suppose, truth be told, one of my great drivers in the job that I do is to try and ensure that that technology that we do use in everyday life and the skills that we pick up and use in everyday life and that we need for the world of work is actually well-placed and runs through education. And, and I think that's something that we see in the last few years that we need to start making a change to and sort of help uh, education in general catch up with our use of technology and adapt our, our learning approaches and our learning styles and spaces to what is really needed for employability further on down the line uh, and for the skill sets we need. I think that's really important. And I think technology is massively important. And I know that we're going to delve into it as we go through tonight. But actually, we're going to look at the fourth industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. Classrooms, how they actually changed. I know I saw a picture on, I think it was social media somewhere, where it just shows since 1900s actually the desk is still in the same location but all i've done is put a, a lot of in a lot of context put a, a pc in there or a, a laptop or a chromebook but yeah. how are we actually changing that then i think we need to think more about actually what the agenda and the skills are needed using technology yeah absolutely and i think the i think the the adage of the industrial revolution is, is really important there i mean we're you're right steve we're still sitting in classroom environments that are still structured towards the Victorian methods of teaching that were that were put in place, the revolution that it was back then, but we've got to remember that's 120 years ago plus. And if we look at how industry has changed across those years, and, and maybe it's worth talking about this sort of fourth industrial revolution and where that comes from. Of course, the first one uh, was uh, with water, steam and coal. The second one, electricity. The third one over the last sort of 20, 30 years was really driven by technology and all the great things that that brought but we're we're now really into this fourth industrial revolution now which is 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 technology and people working much closer together and things like robotics and artificial intelligence and big data and all these buzzwords you hear are now very real in terms of how we expect students uh, to approach uh, how they tackle jobs uh, how they look at careers uh, and how they need to be flexible with their skill sets to approach any job or career that they might be looking at um, in the future. So we've got to play catch up to that and recognise that we've got some way to go. And that fourth industrial re revolution has really been driven, of course, by industry. Uh, and it's interesting now that we've now coined the phrase education 4.0, which really is an effort to encapsulate all the great things that we're doing as educators but integrating technology, changing learning spaces and bringing those in line with what the expectations are for employability now and in the future. 
I think it might be important just to even reverse it just a bit and go into kind of, well, how is the fourth Industrial Revolution different from the other three? Because we, we kind of look at the other three in a linear way. Um, like you said, Paddy, starting off with um, like steam engines going on to electricity and then digital. But even still, even even that third revolution that we call the digital revolution was a very, very separate thing to people's lives. It was something that just kind of happened to them. And I think what kind of is what is different about this revolution, and I think that's why it's going to impact education so much, is that it's not so much a revolution that's going to happen to us or happen to our students, but it's a revolution that if we want to kind of stay relevant, if we want the the future of our, our students to be prosperous, um, to for them to take part in that world, then it's not just something that's going to happen to them. It, they're going to actually have to be creators within this fourth in- yeah. industrial revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And that that sort of focus on skills. I mean, for a long time, we talked about this as sort of 21st century skills. And we all know our three C's moving to our four C's, moving to our five C's and even further. Um, and those skills are crucially important and things that we should be embedding throughout the curriculum uh, with, with and without technology. But you're right, Dan, it's the recognition of how we might integrate with those by picking up and learning those skills we need to uh, help our students be much more adaptive to face the challenges that technology will present and will give going forward. And it's not fast enough, is it, education? It just can't keep up at the moment. No, absolutely not. Uh, And I think if you take, say, going back to sort of technology in the classroom, and I mean that in quite a sense, um, we have a challenge where it takes us such a, a period of time to catch up and integrate those tools that then those tools are unfortunately then almost left behind to a certain point um, by the technology that's going on outside of the classroom. What we're using in our everyday lives is far exceeding um, what we're actually starting to implement. So the importance then of the skills is that we can use the technology within the world around us, that's whether it's in the world of work or whether it's at home, we can actually start to embrace that and use it to benefit our learning as well. I think that's really important. Well, I, I keep thinking around this this idea of this this connectedness, and I suppose that's that's where I think that's what we're getting at, isn't it? Around that that nature that it's not separate from it; it's that connectedness, and about things like wearables and things like um, the Internet of Things and, and all that kind of stuff. And I wonder what how education embraces that because. Um, you, you hear the odd the odd teacher now, and my my nine year old and five year old come home and talk about how uh, their teachers used Alexa in their classroom, um, and uh, there are other versions of uh, voice activated technology. <laughs> uh, but how they how they use Alexa to uh, to ask ask questions and <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, and and then be able to um, play music and be interactive with what they're doing, and it ties into uh, into their search history and all that kind of stuff. I just I, is 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 there going to be more of that? I've... Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Um, I, I think that's important because what what we're doing there with simple as something as simple as Alexa, and I'm really hoping that Alexa doesn't react just behind me here and, and ask me what I need. But but um, Alexa and, and digital assistants are being integrated into our daily lives, and the interesting thing about them is. I think it's teaching um, certain skills in terms of inquiry and question asking. Um, and I think those things are being integrated more and more. Siri and Google on our phones, all of those things are part of our everyday lives and how we access things, but yet we're not using those in education in the way we should be. It's very pocketed use. 
Uh, so things like the Ada sort of digital assistant there um, is being used very well in one college, as you guys very well know. Um, but that's not being embraced in everyday classroom. There's some great Alexa skills that are out there now that are being very well used in primary level classrooms, but yet they're not seeing the way through to, to the upper stages. So, yeah, I absolutely think. But again, that comes back down to core digital skills um, are we able to use these tools to our advantage to help us learn to help us grow to help us develop those creative skills that Dan talked about earlier um, uh, and these wider skills that we need um, going forward and we just talked what are the potential barriers do you think it's a fear thing that actually because a teacher do you think they're going to they feel they're going to lose control if you if they bring technology in and actually there's not going to be a need for a teacher if an Alexa is there how can we flip it so that the UK is is driving. This yeah, case. I think I think there's certainly a fear of technology. I think I've seen over the last ten years or so that that has started to reduce, um, and maybe that's just with um, uh, younger educators coming through and living in a more sort of technology centric world. So I think there's less fear. I think the harder thing for a lot of educators is recognizing that shift from teaching to learning, and the, the teacher, the educator becoming much more of, of a facilitator when all of these technology and inform, uh, information tools um, are around us. And then also going on that learning curve as an educator to understand when we're talking about data, it's not just the data and the grades we were all used to. We can actually learn a heck of a lot from the analytics that we could produce of the learning cycle to adapt learning much better. But that takes the educator to get their head wrapped around that and utilize that. So I think there has to be that shift, you know, on the teaching and learning side to the facilitator side. Um, but I think in line with that, we've got to be looking at our learning bases uh, and how we change those that start to facilitate it. And as you said at the very outset, Steve, to pull back from that kind of Victorian sort of didactic way of teaching and learning. So I think, I think there are certainly challenges there. Um, and, and how we embrace those, for me, are skills on both sides. We still have to upskill our educators. It's not enough to simply say that the rules are reversing. Um, we've got to upskill them, not just on skills, but on knowledge, on how tools outside of the classroom can be used better. Um, and then we've obviously got to look at our students and ensure that they have all of the necessary digital skills um, and levels of inquiry available to them and tools available to them to help them. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of work there to do, absolutely. Uh, and do you think this new education inspection framework will help with that when it looks at the quality of education rather than just teaching and learning in its own aspect that people yeah, now see? That's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that's going to help? Yeah, yeah, you can help there, Ben, but I, I certainly feel it does in that it is a much more sort of flexible, dynamic approach looking at outcomes. Um, ben, you want to add into that by all means? No, no, no. I was, I was just, I was just going to jump on that that conversation because I thought that that was absolutely the, the. It's nice to be on the same page. To be fair, usually I'm off on a, on a tangent somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that that concept that it, it's less focus on the teacher and the teacher's. Yeah job is, is changing um, and I suppose it ties really nicely as well into that we, we as teachers who, who, are, who are embracing technology um, are expected like um, IT managers and that and they're kind of people to change um, in terms of to become more than just uh, and they need to make it easier for us to be able to um, I suppose access the technology and use it easily and I suppose we, we have a responsibility to change don't we and to focus on um, how 
how we, how we manage learning and how yeah. we, like you said, that phrase facilitating learning. I saw a really good lesson the other day where the teacher did. He actually looked at me when I was when I was in there doing a, a, like a mini observation. He looked at me as if to say, um, "I'm not doing very much here. Um, uh, am I going to yeah. get in trouble because I'm not doing very much?" And I, I was like, "No, absolutely not." And we had the yeah. conversation afterwards because it's it's not about the teacher anymore, and the teacher isn't the one that's graded, or the teacher isn't meeting expectations or not yeah. meeting. Expectations. It's about the learning, isn't it? But yeah, and and you know, and think think how amazing that is to give students the flexibility to learn on their own terms. Think about I talk in my role a lot about um, learner diversity, inclusion. I suppose is is, a, is another way to put it. But the recognition that every student that sits in front of us is very different in terms of how they learn, how they consume, how they create, how they approach learning, how they approach revision. And it's not just those small amount of pupils that are different. Every single one of our students are different. And when you're in a, a situation like you were in, Ben, where the classroom is incredibly flexible, uh, the, the teacher, the educator is facilitating there, that gives those students the room, the room to grow. And, and in a lot of cases, you three will have seen this, um, how creative students can be with their approach to their learning, um, how resourceful they can be in terms of access to the content and the tools that they might need for that learning. Um, but but I think just, just to pick up on, on another thing there, you know, coming back to, to educators, I think we, we have a responsibility to to let go almost in, in, in preparing our students in that way. And I'll give you, it's a very straightforward, it sounds like a very silly example, but but I will give you one. Um, talking to a, a set of uh, uh, FE um, uh, teachers just last week, we were talking about Google Classroom and they were telling me just how revolutionary Google Classroom has been because it's given students the ability to uh, to learn on their own terms, in their own time, uh, in their own way, outside of the classroom. And that's been really, really good. Um, but one of the things we were talking about, uh, and one of the teachers was complaining to me that the students refused, because she thought they would, do, they would embrace this, they, but they were refusing to use the discussion mode within Google Classroom. And if you're not um, uh, aware of, of that mode, it's a really useful way where students can sit and they can talk to their peers and discuss particular things that are posted on Classroom. Uh, and she asked her class why they weren't using this. And actually, the first hand that went up in the room said, Miss, we've got our own WhatsApp group um, that, that helps us with our peer discussion. And she found that quite difficult to understand that she needed to let go. And actually, the upside of using an external piece of software that they use every single day is really helping them work together with their peers to solve problems, to be more creative, to help each other. It's not confined within the ecosystem that we were putting in place in the classroom, but it's augmenting it, it's supplementing, it's doing a brilliant job of that. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's just a general third party tool. But we need, we need to embrace it. We need to let go. Yeah, absolutely agree. And um, I know that you, you're friendly with the guys and uh, have worked closely with the guys at Gisk. And um, in 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 a in a number of their reports, one of the things it talked around, you, you mentioned it, and I think it it just pulled together nicely to bring it into uh, what we're talking about in this industry education 4.0 uh, a phrase from it from this report said um, your students learning is immersive interactive flexible fun and most importantly personalized to meet their needs enabling them to excel talking about this classroom the fe college of the future i think yeah. that's um that's that's exactly it you've talked about flexibility there i think this it, this idea about about being immersive and interactive and then personalized is is, is really what what we're talking about, how we bring the industry element into education, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, it keeps coming back back to skills. And if we think about how we all do our our own jobs, um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not teaching uh, all day um, every day. You know, I'm 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 in the world of work now. I'm in I'm in a, a commercial realm. I have to adapt on a constant basis. I have to use new tools every single day. I have to be flexible in my approach. I have to be creative. Those are those are skills. That we have to, to have taught, and I have to understand, as everybody does in the world of work, how we use the tools around us um, to help us with those. So, yeah, we have to be adaptive. And and just on that, I think one of the, one of the exciting things that's there, certainly in the world of technology going forward, is just how adaptive this sort of concept of machine learning can be. Because if we can look at each student as an individual, look at each student as somebody who's independent, uh, and we're allowing them to utilize digital tools, we can start to measure where their needs are, where their strengths are. We can start to change and adapt and personalize that. And that's only really been prevalent over maybe the last sort of 18 months to two years in, in the tools that we're starting to use in, in classrooms and colleges. Um, and I think that's really, really important because students are motivated by data and their own performance. Um, if you take something like the Fitbit that's out there, those are simple wearables that are out there. But students are used to using these to motivate themselves, to drive them forward, to spot areas for improvement. Um, And I think if we start to look at technology in the way we start to look in the classroom, as the way we do outside of the classroom, that certainly the experiences are adaptive and are building individual skill levels on a very, very, very individual level, um, almost bespoke learning in that instance. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. I I think technology can really support that where, it would take a lot of effort and a lot of time to do that as a human, actually allow technology to, to embrace that and actually do the job so we can assess starting points of individuals really quickly and the teachers can actually then put the support in, the bit that they actually probably enjoy rather than the admin side of it. I just yeah. think it makes sense. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, I think we even seen with uh, Martin Berm, who we, we had on a guest a few episodes ago, I think it was episode 60, and him talking about the wow wall. He's, he's the dean of... Um, the IE school, business school in Madrid, and and how the artificial intelligence within that, um, it's essentially, I, gu- I guess, like a, kind of how we're communicating, a bit of a, a video call, a, a hangout, uh, that where 60 students can all be in there, and the artificial intelligence within the machine is is judging whether students are engaged, um, if they're learning at that moment based on their facial expressions. And I think something like that, um, I mean, we t- we're talking about, uh, different types of data, I think something like that is gonna it's gonna be invaluable. If and if that if that catches on, you know, we talk about how um, students are gonna be learning online more and more. Um, and, and if this is the way that it happens, um, using that data, using artificial intelligence, I think we're we're gonna see. Well, it is. It's that it's that education four point isn't it? It's 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 a revolution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's big changes, and I think for all of us that have been working in education for some time, these are the changes we've been we've been pining after. These are the changes that, unknown to us, we've started to build the recipe for these going forward. And I think now we almost have it branded as Education 4.0. And whilst I'm not ever a big fan of buzzwords, I think that's a really good way to encapsulate what we're trying to achieve here. It really, you're right, and it really is a revolution there. And thankfully now the tools and the mindset and the drive, even from a policy level uh, at DFE, at Offset from the framework side, um, I think we're starting to see this not just in the UK, but certainly globally, as we recognise the importance of skills and the importance of very seamless technology integration that benefits everybody. 
I'm going to come in now with with the massive elephant in the room, uh, if I can, and uh, almost take a pessimist. But almost, I, I would. I don't want to do this because I love talking about all this stuff, and it it really excites me. But um, just to get almost a little bit pessimistic for for a few moments, and because there will be people listening to this who are like, yeah, that's it's all very well, um, letting students learn in their own time, um, the teacher being the facilitator. Um, letting students get it for themselves, that project project based um, style. But it's teachers, especially, I, I'm the only one here who's in secondary school teaching. So from for GCSEs, are going to be are going to be saying we've got three years with these students, and a lot of times two years with these students. We've got to prepare them for a GCSE exam. Literally every minute of every hour of lesson is so important. I mean, I'm. I'm a yeah. I'm head of careers in my school, and I need, and around that age, I need to take them out of school and put them, put them in colleges, and give them tasters of of further education, higher education, and the amount of flack I get off their teachers because I'm taking them out of lesson time when they they could be learning vital information for their GCSEs, and and that's not that's not the the teachers I work with um, being miseries and not wanting the students to 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 explore further education it's because of the pressures on the teacher as well and it all comes down and i know we 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 bang on about it quite a bit on this podcast but it all comes down at the end of the day to sitting in that hall with a pen and paper and taking that exam yeah yeah and i yeah the culture of teaching to the test is unfortunately where we're at um and and sadly i'm sure where we're going to be at for some time to come although there are big changes being made there and I think if you take interesting Dan, you say in the secondary school and and uh, Ben Steve from from FE, you know you take the flexibility that you have in a primary school curriculum and the time you have available with your pupils to explore learning uh, and to to experiment, um, and you have that flexibility. You you have a similar level of flexibility, albeit not as great when you get into key stage three. Then suddenly you hit key stage four and you're in the GCSEs and it's like every single minute counts and the only thing that matters is is that exam at the end of those two years and the same as you as you go on through and I think that's the biggest area of change. We've, of course, we've seen things slowly change there with the move to um, to a greater emphasis on coursework and controlled assessment type pieces across the year, but ultimately it's still an exam hall. It's still a written test. It still doesn't require any form of digital skills within that whatsoever. But it does uh, employ critical thinking. It does employ um, uh, a collaborative um, uh, thinking in advance of the exams in terms of working together. So we can still use the skills towards that. Fundamentally, we've got to see how we can change assessment. Uh, and there's been there's been a few strides in that. Um, as we see more and more exams starting to move to a digital scenario. Um, but as I, as I mentioned at the outset, you know, we have some fantastic literacy tools. Those literacy tools are designed to be used in a digital environment. Um, so the question that we always get then is, well, what happens when we get the exam point and we've got to use our hand writing notes and we've got to use a pen and paper? The same is true in maths. Um, uh, maths traditionally has been a pen and paper type subject, still is the same in an exam, same with science. So we've got to look at different ways to assess, assessment that isn't time-bound, assessment that uh, can perhaps be a form of continuous assessment, and, and importantly for me, assessment that um, reflects the fact that we're teaching uh, digital skills 
we're teaching digital technology, we're using it in every facet of life. That's the big thing that has to be changed. And it's a big ask and it's a big task. Um, and I think we've got a way to go on it. Yeah. And, and do you think at any point, Paddy, that because at the minute there's, there's gulfs that are emerging, even where we're at at the minute and we're, we're not there yet in terms of the, obviously clearly in terms of the, where we're going to get 4.0 in the future. Yeah. But there's already a, a massive gap in terms of those that do and those that don't. But is that only going to widen based on the based on this the drivers still being the drivers and the people who don't want to do it or are reluctant being left behind? Do, do you see that happening? Yeah, but 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 then there's the other side of the coin. We we started talking at the outset about how industry has shaped this fourth industrial revolution, and that industry is starting to feed into the skills that we need. And if you take some of, some of the some of the big sort of the higher end employers, um, uh, people like um, uh, KPMG uh, uh, and uh, those larger consultancy companies, those companies nowadays are not looking at any form of exam results. In fact, when you go into an interview there, they don't look at those. They are removed from your application. Um, and I think that's very interesting because they're far more interested in your your life experience. They're far more interested in your skills level and how you can demonstrate those. So I think we could learn a lot from larger companies like that that are starting to not simply go, well, we want the 2-1, um, we want a degree on there or else we're not looking at you. They're looking far beyond that now and I think that's really important. And so I'm hoping that that sort of philosophy from industry is narrowing that gulf uh, and, and not widening it. And I think in education... We have to play up to that and we have to prepare um, uh, students for those sorts of interviews, for those sorts of discussions and those sorts of careers where, frankly, actually the exam result, the, the, the grade level doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you know what? It, this this is all music to our ears and it's and it's the kind of the, the drum that we are we are beating. I, I spoke at a conference in uh, Newcastle for for uh, uh, BTL. Uh, it's a past conference up there um, beginning of October. And... In in that at that uh, conference, I talked around the idea that we've got these brilliant companies that are expecting these kind of skills, and that uh, that people are working this gig economy, and this this twenty percent off the job time, and this uh, eighty twenty principle at Google, and, and and passion projects, all this great stuff, and tech being uh, part of that, and people being blended, and all that. But actually, just as coming back to that, what Steve was saying, and what we were talking about earlier, it's the that bridge in the middle between amazing fantastic um, use of technology in the classroom and then use of technology and innov innovation in the workplace and then there's that bridge of the exam i i use the analogy that what we do is, um, uh, with exams is students sit um these papers are delivered in in, in, a, in in a van they're stored in a in a physical locker then the students sit in this exam room right for two hours with a pen that that's then bound back up in uh, with elastic bands, posted back to the exam board, and what do they do? They cut it down, uh, cut the spine off, and then scan it in and send it out to examiners electronically. Yeah. And you think until until you put that kind of um, uh, what's uh, make it that plain and simple that that is just ludicrous that we digitize yeah. it after the fact, but we don't digitize it before the fact and despite the fact that we need digitization both before and after the exam it, what what, what where, where do we go with that how do we how do we influence exam boards and off qual and and the government and how do we how, do we do we need to have a picket do we need to get a rebellion on 
what, what, what do you think, Paddy? Well, well, you can look at this one of two ways. I, I think you can look at it from the perspective that you've just talked about, Ben, which is, well, do we actually fundamentally need to to change or and, and just have an alternative system to the one we have now, i.e., do we want to take what we do, which is teach to the test? We have an exam at the end of two years, say, in the case of GCSE. Uh, do we simply want to digitize that? Okay, so is, is that all we want to do? Do we want to make it available as an online test? And things like the International Baccalaureate now are doing that with all of their maths um, uh, papers and a considerable number of their English papers and subjects within the International Baccalaureate. So they are starting to, to take computer-based assessment um, a, 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 to the next level. Um, things like our tools now, uh, a text help, they work well within a sealed environment of Chromebook as, a, as an exam tool, as an assessment tool. Um, and so there are companies and there are institutions and there are exam people and boards that are moving towards that. But I think that has to happen in parallel to the real tenant of Education 4.0, which is, well, actually, do we completely re- need to redefine rather than simply replicate digitally what our current system is? So, for example, if we, in Education 4.0, if we were to say, well, education is more about lifelong learning, it's about learning as we go, it's about being flexible with the bits that we feel we need to learn, um, is it a case of moving to things like micro-credentials, which could be measured at a higher frequency could be measured by artificial intelligence, could still be assessed in a, a very traditional way by an educator or a board. Um, and do we have a small series of micro-credentials that we can build our profile up through time, not just when we're in full-time education, but well beyond that end of the world to work as well. So if you take that, there's just two complete sides to that. I'm a great fan of micro-credentials. I think that can be very bespoke. I think it reflects what we're trying to do in 4.0 because we're trying to make a bespoke um, a piece of learning for an individual student. Also, from an employability point of view, employers want to skill up in very specific areas and that can fill into that. So, yeah, there's two sides. That There's many people working on digitizing and making, I suppose, computer-based assessment a very real possibility. But I think we need to combine those with artificial intelligence and I think more than that, we do need to look at something that's different to what we do now and not just a sort of a direct sort of um, substitution of what we do now. Definitely. I think blockchain has a has an important role in that as well. I've said this before on the podcast, but I think the use of blockchain blockchain to to validate credentials. Oh, blockchain, oh, blockchain, blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just think, it, I think there's, there's, there's a gap there. I think there's, a, there's a role for blockchain in, in kind of allowing people to, and it links with what you're saying. Those micro credentials to, to validate them and, and not have to go through a, a huge exam board that takes ten years to change because it's the way they've, they've always done it, and, and so the whole education system has to wait for that ship to slowly turn around. Yeah. Uh, I just think there's. Maybe maybe we're too early on that one, but yeah, I just think there's there's got to be better ways of doing it. Yeah, but I think there are, uh, you know, the, there are people, um, and we would include ourselves now, the people lobbying for considerable change there, but that's a full system change. And the, the interesting thing there for me is, to a degree, technology has been implemented in our classrooms by people like you guys, people who see technology as being important by, by a certain amount of change makers. 
that started to influence from grassroots and has thankfully driven up through the ranks into, into senior leadership and beyond. And now we're seeing things like Ofsted being influenced there too, the DFE strategy. The challenge, I think, um, on the assessment side is that that's very much a top-down approach. So that looks on the surface to have a much more um, a greater need of change, but also a much, much bigger obstacle to move um, uh, because it's such a big thing and there's no grassroots there to actually change that. It has to be done at a very, very with a very systematic approach. Um, uh, and that will be big changes. Um, and it, again, coming back to my credentials, that's a nice way to ease into the changes there. And I think we've got to find that middle ground of how we get there to complete change at that assessment point. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, and I think it's needed. Like, uh, you know, if if people were to turn around and say, well, it's not broken, uh, the students have been going in, um, writing in a booklet every summer for every, every, for the last hundred years, like it's, yeah. it's working well, but it's not, it's, it's really not. Like before, before we went on air, um, I thought I'd probably better do a bit of research for this. And, and, and I came across some statistics from, I think it was three years ago that said, Four in five adults in the UK have very low numeracy skills. Four in five adults and numeracy skills are the basis for the for the high tech jobs that we need, and we just don't have it. I was speaking to a guy at a wedding over the summer who um, works for a big company, and he, he does coding for them, and he and they have to go abroad to get the skills. They have yeah. they, we we it's not working. Whatever we're whatever we're doing, we can't keep going on. The way we have been, we can't just we can't bury our head in the sand, and sometimes it feels like we are the lone voice in the and, wilderness. And to, and to be fair, to add to you, to add to your voice there, Dan, numeracy has been a huge part of our curriculum and has been a focus of, for for every education minister and every change um, in in terms of curriculum. Numeracy and more and more maths and more and more. Um, calculus and whatever else in 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 classes. Yet still, we've got that statistic. You, you, I'm, not, I'm with you. Something's not, but, something's broken, but, isn't it? Just, just to pick up on the on the numeracy thing, there, I I've spoken to quite a lot of uh, uh, sort of maths conferences, working with maths teachers, particularly around the UK, but also uh, across Europe as well. And I always I started doing this about a year and a half ago. I asked them through a through a sort of an online poll thing called Pull There Pull Everywhere um, that I use. Uh, what their most used technology is in the classroom. And I'll let you guys guess, number one and number two, what's their most used technology in the maths classroom? Calculator. Calculators. Yep, calculators one, and the interactive whiteboard is number two. I, 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 to be fair, I'm glad, I was going to go with Abacus, so <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought I'd bring it up a level. But but if you think if you think about that to you know how abstract that is, maths is being disconnected with the real life of maths that we all use every single day and what's demanded in the world of work. We're not using technology there, and we we have a not not to do a product plug, but we have a product there called Equatio, and and Equatio, and and it's sort of. Its mission is to make maths digital. That's its kind of grand goal. But actually what it's really there to do is to ensure that if you're using a digital device, you can type maths in. Let's break it down in in its very simplest format. And it is really the only tool out there that does that. And you've got to ask yourself, why is it the only tool out there? Um, And it's because 
that level, on the numeracy level, we're just not embracing technology in the way we should do, and that's being left behind. So when you start talking about computational thinking and all of these other areas and coding and programming that are starting to embrace technology, math just isn't, um, because it's not being made relevant with the technology we're using, and we need tools that can do that as well. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm going to kind of talk about in terms of Leeds City College, because um, obviously that, that's that's what I do on a day-to-day. But we've created this Navigator program where we've picked people, navigators, people who are keen to use technology, but are math teachers, and we've got 18 across across all the colleges now, that uh, are using a toolbox and, and, and the APs, the advanced practitioners, are supporting them with Equasio, but also things like Jamboard, Flipgrid, Edpuzzle, all these other tools actually are generic yeah. across all teaching and learning and then saying, right, let's do some action-based research. Let's use it to see whether it increases engagement because if we do things exactly the same way that we've always doing, I know I say it all the time, the national statistic is 19% of students that don't get it uh, at school at the age of 16 will then go on to actually ever achieve or say that they're a pass or they've, that they've passed maths. Yeah, yeah. We have to do something, surely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, technology is only one route in there, building on on prior knowledge and real world examples and um, uh, having learning more active is, is key there as well. And that's, uh, you know, it's, I know it's brilliant work you're doing there, Steve, at Leeds um, uh, with your colleagues. Um, and that's definitely part of that. And I think what's interesting, you mentioned things like Ed Puzzle within there as an example. And the challenge is that in general, um, math teachers and practitioners may not have seen that as being necessarily rele- necessarily relevant to their particular subject, and you're obviously doing a great job of doing that. So this all for me comes right the way back to where we started, which was we need to be working with educators much uh, much closer in terms of making all of this mad technology. Some of them will think we're talking about, but making it meaningful and relevant to their classrooms to their practice and most importantly to the positive outcomes that students can get we need to make it relevant and it's not good enough for us in education now to be the ed tech nutters that some people will always look at us as you know you know that's that's the guys and gals that just love their technology it needs to be ubiquitous and everybody needs to get with the program on this and understand that it has an impact for every student in every facet of their life both now and as they go forward into the world of work, it's crucially important. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think I think you, what you, what you're trying to do, and how we're trying, how some colleges are trying to do it, it, it feels like um, we are going in the right direction. And I feel like things like the EdTech strategy are going in the right direction. And and all, all the stuff around, um, I'm not trying to use buzzwords either. Around like big data and sets of data that is helping us identify some of the things that we're doing and 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 pick up some of the the trends and, and things that we need to work on uh, i i just don't think we're moving fast enough and, and, and i'm gonna is it 10 million for the tech strategy nationally 15 i think it was 15 right so, uh, sorry I'm, I'm gonna kind of talk about this other elephant i'm gonna bring one in now dan that we we, we spoke to a guy at, at the at the school in, at the university of madrid the business school and he talked about the fact that over the last God knows how many years, 10 years, 15 years, they've spent 25 million just for one organization. Yeah. Are we, is it going to make that much of a difference for those people who aren't even engaging in tech whatsoever in a school? 
that can have they have to solve so many different problems in terms of it infrastructure. Was it was ten. Right. Okay. Yeah. So so that if if we're referring to the same pot of money, that that ten applies to companies like us, companies like textile companies that are producing sort of innovative solutions. And the idea behind that is to make those solutions and ensure those solutions are designed with impact in mind to make sure they are meaningful, they are relevant, and they genuinely solve problems. And then also to make those affordable and manageable in terms of deployment to schools around the country. So where I suppose that potentially falls down is, with the best will in the world, we, we at Texthelp and many other companies can make some wonderful products um, that do some very amazing things. If the devices aren't in place um, and the infrastructure, so on the Wi-Fi side, on the network side, uh, on the skill side, on the IT side, on the teacher side aren't in place, then those products can potentially fall down. And I think that's where the spend has to be to make sure the infrastructure, the CPD and the devices are in place. And, and currently... There's no provision for for things like devices out there, um, and I think if you look globally at the countries and the regions that are doing incredibly well with technology, those are countries that have started to put devices in the hand of every student. And I'm not just talking about an iPad one to one program here or a Chromebook one to one program there. Really, really properly embracing technology. Um, the US in particular putting a lot of money in devices, making sure students across multiple districts have Chromebooks. Um, that's the biggest selling uh, product, most used product in US schools. But they're tackling it on multiple sides and I think DFE needs to be looking at that probably post-election at this stage. Um, but <laughs> that and ensuring that, um, that those additional steps are in place. And I hope what we're seeing with the DFE strategy is this kind of push with the edtech companies such as us um, to produce these innovative solutions is then backed up with really good models of modeling good practice of showing it. And I think they're they're attempting to do that with the demonstrator schools and with the test bed schools that are out that, that, the, that they've requested people apply for at the moment. Um, and those are worth having a look at because those will give us reference sites, but they need to start backing it up with, with funds and resources in place for devices. We can't rely on students and parents to, to fund devices through, through their education. We just can't do it. Yeah, and and is I know that we we, we talked at the beginning in terms of your product, um, in terms of RIQ and and have a bit of understanding of it, and we we use it quite a bit in Leeds City College. Is that something you're pushing uh, through that strategy? Is that something that's going to be out to try before you buy kind of stuff as a test bed? Yeah, absolutely. And and for people who don't know what that is, so you you'll all be familiar with um uh the the intensity of marking spelling, punctuation, and grammar, um and how we've all got to do that. Um and I suppose in basic terms, what Reiki does on the surface is it does that for you, so it automatically marks things. But it, it's far more important than that. And that what Reiki really does is analyze students' writing and provides a metric in and around that writing. So that's that's one part. So that's great. So teachers can look at that. They can see where there might need to be intervention or some additional help or simply how the class or students perform, is uh, performing. But beyond that, all that data, all that measurement of writing is then computed and presented back to the student. So the student can start to see real-time analytics of the writing. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? Does it need to be better here? Need to be better there? Um, are they writing at an appropriate speed? Are they writing at, you know, with appropriate vocabulary? And they can start to take command of their data. And, and that then 
guidance for their writing can be applied to them to help them more. So that's really what RiteQ is doing. It's automating where it can, but more importantly, adapting the process of helping a student write better. And this is something that hasn't been done before. So that's definitely part of, of DFE strategy, which is reducing teacher workload on one hand and on the other hand, providing things like artificial intelligence and big data that actually has a meaningful impact to, to students on a very personal level. Um, and there's a number of companies doing that. And that I think that's an exciting part of the strategy, identifying those in a, a long last DFE recognizing that, hey, teachers do have a fairly heavy workload and we need to help them. It's nice to see that in black and white now and start to have technology that can help them with that. You know, Ray Hughes, one of them. Yeah, and I, th- and I think the way education's going, I think you, you could, like you said, we're not the, 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 the ones who are banging for, for ed tech in classrooms. Oh, let's get some devices. Let's do this. Let's do that. And teachers... Who who don't want to do it? Um, I think it's it's we're getting to a point where we're, we're going to have to be forward thinking, and it's and it's not for our sake. It's not because we want to play with a device in a classroom or we want to play with some cool technology. Yeah. It it's because we we're people who, who this is what we do. We 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 keep our ear to the ground. We're we're close with industry. We see where industry is going. We. We mix with people who who are kind of who are predicting what what's going on, and I know predictions aren't always a hundred percent, but. But the, there's a lot of truth in there that the way industry is going to go, and 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 let's not forget the industry is where our students are going to be working. It's where our students are going to be earning the money to put food on the table for their family, to put a roof over their head, and and I think we, there's almost a moral obligation to teach our students how to survive in the in that world. That that is not just around the corner, but is upon us now. And yeah, I think it's. It's it's something that we're passionate about, but it's something that we I think we also see that it needs to happen, and 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 we can look around the world and see the, the great examples of where it is happening, um, and and the reason we get frustrated, the reason why we can sometimes be pessimistic, the reason why sometimes we can get angry is because because we see this, we see that that education needs to be forward thinking, and sometimes unfortunately it's not so much, but yeah, there's a lot. You know what? That sounded really pessimistic as well, but there's, there's, so, much, there's, there's, there's so like I, I can't believe I got to the I got to putting food on the table to feed families. That was uh... <laughs> I thought that was a real high real high point of a night. That one. Uh, but no, there's lots of hope. There's lots of hope in what we're saying. And... Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I was with Ben uh, at the Surpass Conference in Newcastle, and and you had exam boards in the room talking uh, getting passionate about making exams digital um yeah it, it it's happening it's happening yeah and, and i think people like yourselves um like ourselves in industry have to keep pushing have to keep lobbying uh have to keep working with industry and with organizations like jisk and dfe statutory bodies we all have to come together on this and realize that all we are simply trying to do, you're right, Dan, is we're not just using technology for technology's sake now. That may have been true a number of years ago where we just felt we just had had this desire to get technology in the classroom. That is not the case now. Um, it's a, a necessary part of how we build capacity in our students go forward. And, uh, you know, and as I said earlier, we've got to recognize that industry is changing. Industry is looking beyond that linear approach of, how many GCSEs, at what grade, how many A-levels, what did you get beyond that? 
Um, uh, you know, they're looking beyond this, and, and we've got to have an education system that entirely reflects that. And I think Education 4.0 and that kind of mindset and that vision of Education 4.0 aligned with industry is a very, very, very important part of it and where we'll be heading going forward. Definitely. Paddy, thanks for joining us. If you want to know more about some of the tools that Paddy's mentioned, uh, you can go to texthelp.com. Cheers, Paddy. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Paddy. Thanks a lot, mate.